Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So. Guess what my topic is tonight? <clears throat> Can anyone guess? <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I want you to know uh, that I, when when uh, we were deciding what what talks to give, and uh, Sally was the coordinating teacher for the for the uh, retreat. Uh, asked and I said, oh, how about metta for self or metta for difficult person or equanimity? And I was the first one who who gave that in. And by the time all the others had, had gotten, she had forgotten that I put that down. And when, when the talks came out, she said, oh, James, joy, of course, right? <laughs> so, uh, but now that I'm talking about Joy, uh, I'm happy to do it. So, <laughs> Especially since you, you did uh, Mudita today. So it's just, uh, retreats have a way of unfolding just the way they're supposed to. So I hope this is part of that perfect unfolding. Um, we've been saying... You've been saying, may I be happy for the last four days, right? May I be happy, may you be happy. It's a very um, powerful phrase that sometimes it it gets, you say it so much. As somebody came into uh, an interview, uh, they said, what does that word mean? Have you ever say a word over and over and over and you just... It has no meaning at all. It's just letters, and or either uh, it, it loses its its profundity. Happy, happy. It's, sometimes it almost sounds like sappy, or but it's a very profound word. We all want to be happy, don't we? Does anybody here not want to be happy? Sometimes when I say that, I, I imagine some people fighting their hands saying, yeah, I don't want to be happy sometimes. Well, and that's understandable. I feel like being grumpy today. Yeah. Well, that's just your way of being happy that day. That day. Whatever turns you on. But we have this place inside of us that longs for connection and peace and wholeness that we call usually happy, happiness. The Buddha was called the happy one. And as Sally mentioned in, in her, one of her talks, the Dalai Lama starting out his book, The Art of Happiness, 
with the line, the purpose of life is to be happy. Because if we can somehow find our own happiness, then every, everyone benefits and where whatever gifts that we have can come through unobstructedly, cleanly and purely from a place of abundance. <clears throat> and here we are wishing ourselves happiness. May I be happy. May I be content or may I feel, have ease of well-being or wishing that for someone else. What better thing could you wish for than for their happiness? And as perhaps you've found, sometimes practice can seem very serious. As I found for some period in my, my practice journey, uh, it can get dead serious. I got very serious. Some people have heard me talk about this before. For a while, I just, I just, it seemed that happiness or feeling good was somehow, you know, not very Buddhist. You know, when I thought of the profundity of getting off the wheel and just escaping from the woes of this world, I once sat a, a, a long retreat with a, a great uh, master, Asian master, and, and every evening he would give the, the blessing, may you speedily escape from the, from the woes of this world and, uh, and realize Nibbana. And sometimes that message can lead one to think, oh, let's get out of here as fast as we can. And uh, so when I got through this period, at, at some point I, I, I woke up to seeing, oh, wait a second, that is not un-Buddhist to be happy. We're saying, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. Where, where did I get confused and, uh, with the Buddha's message? I want to share a quote. That I, I love from uh, Ajahn Sumedho, great monastic, who points to this potential blind alley. Sometimes in Theravada Buddhism, one gets the impression that you shouldn't enjoy beauty. If you see a beautiful flower, you should contemplate its decay. Or if you see a, a beautiful woman, you should contemplate her as a rotting corpse. This has a certain value on one level, but it's not a fixed position to take. It's not that we should just feel compelled to reject beauty and dwell on its impermanence and on how it changes to being not so beautiful and then downright repulsive. That is a good reflection on Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta, but it can leave the impression that beauty is only to be reflected on in terms of these three characteristics rather than in terms of the experience of beauty people who can't see the beauty of the good or the true are really bitter and mean. They live in an ugly realm where there's no rejoicing in beauty and goodness and truth. But once you have true insight, you find you enjoy and delight in the beauty and goodness of things. Truth, beauty, and goodness delight us. In them we find joy. 
I rediscovered that joy uh, actually not with a uh, not in my formal practice, but in visiting the teacher that uh, that Sharda mentioned the other night, uh, Punjaji or Papaji, and I uh, I spent some time with him and uh, had lots of questions. He's not a, he wasn't a, a Buddhist teacher or a Buddhist meditation teacher, although he loved the Buddha. But uh, I had so many questions, and uh, he was he just radiated love and he was so patient and he give me all your questions give me all your questions you know. and finally towards the end I said I have one more question give me your questions okay and I said you talk about emptiness he would talk about emptiness a lot it was one of his favorite words and he'd just be talking about how it's all empty and but there'd be just this this radiant positive beaming energy blasting at you. And I said, uh, Punjaji, um, when Buddhists talk about emptiness, it seems so serious, you know, so solemn, the profundity of emptiness. When you talk about emptiness, you're having such a good time. You know, why is your emptiness so much more fun than, than ours, right? What gives? And he... Uh, he said, you know, when you, when you touch a place of stillness and touch the emptiness in that, in that meditative um, depth, you can sometimes be fooled into thinking that that's where the deepest truth can be found and the activity and all the uh, um, aliveness is somehow different from that. But he says, my emptiness rejects nothing, nothing from my emptiness. My emptiness includes sorrow and joy and love and confusion and everything. Nothing is rejected from my emptiness. And he starts laughing and ha, 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 ha. I said, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. And I had it really brought me back to see, oh, I, I don't have to hold on to some idea and, or ideal of it just being pristine stillness, that there can be an aliveness to this emptiness. And um, that made me look back again to what the Buddha really taught about happiness and joy. So I want to share a little bit uh, with you tonight on two levels. First, talk about, uh, in general, accessing these feelings of well-being and then spend a little time, particularly on mudita, since it's part of our practice here and uh, we did it today. <clears throat> Joy is one of the four Brahma-viharas, one of the seven factors of enlightenment, one of the uh, five jhana factors and one of the uh, absorption, uh, uh, principal absorption states. And there are many different flavors of joy or well-being in the teachings from piti, rapture or bliss, to sukha, happiness, to pamoja, gladness, or 
and contentment and many other different subtle flavors. This is uh, yeah, this is from one translation of the Dhammapada, the Buddha's teachings. Live in joy, in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy, in health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy, in peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of the way. And the Buddha also talking about the importance of happiness to, in the, the famous uh, Kalama Sutta where he's asked, who should we, how should we determine whether a teaching is true? And he goes through this whole long list. Don't believe the, the teachers. Don't believe the books. Don't believe the views that you prefer. But he says, when you would know for yourselves these things are unhealthy. These things, when entered upon and undertaken, incline towards harm and suffering. Then you should reject them. And when you know for yourselves that these things are healthy, these things, when entered upon and undertaken, incline towards welfare and happiness, then, having come to them, you should stay with them. So you determine if something is skillful. Does it lead to happiness can we give that to ourselves this is what we are doing or at least intending to do in each moment of our days to send kindness and love to ourselves and happiness towards ourselves and then by sharing that with everyone to feel that happiness that comes from an open heart that wants to share. Can we give that to ourselves? Often people um, come and do the, the joy course that I teach and they, see, they say, it seems so frivolous at times. It, it, it's, the course sometimes is a magnet for skeptics. You know? Say, oh yeah, well, tell me about awakening joy. You don't know my story, you know, or I don't think it's possible, or how can you just go ahead and feel joy or happiness when there's so much suffering in the world? And it's a really good question, an important question that needs to be addressed. And if that comes up for you, how can I be spending a week just wishing myself well? My God, can I tell my my grandma or my my boss, you know, that's that's what I did. I just wished myself well for a week, you know? <laughs> but this is a very important thing to do. When you're around people who are busy putting in their time despairing, does that help you? Is, is that a gift to you? Oh, thank you for being so despairing, you know. Yes, you're a realist and you're despairing. Oh, join the club, right? This is from... Uh, 
Howard Zinn, the, the great historian who, who passed away this year, um, who wrote The People's History of the United States, an optimist isn't necessarily a blithe, slightly sappy whistler in the dark of our time. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It's based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, kindness. What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives If we see only the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are so many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us energy to act, and at least the possibility of sending the spinning top of a world in a different direction. We get energy when we feel a connection and feel our love of life. And it's contagious. So, may I be happy. What is happiness? What is... You, you, as, as you've probably seen, you keep on saying those words. Not only do sometimes they le- lose their meaning, but they have so many different shades and meaning subtle things at, at different times. You go into different dimensions of them. The power of words, you really see that on a metta retreat. You know, you just kind of refine a phrase and, oh yeah, that's it. That kind of just opens up that channel in the heart. So it's important to just get clear whether you use the word happy or joyful or well-being or whatever, just so that it really connects. And it's important to use a word that resonates with you. When I say the word joy, I'm talking about all the states and um, dimensions of well-being. From contentment to ease to delight. And so, for, for you, as I share this to really re, redefine or, or find a synonym, a synonym that resonates for you. Well-being, though, is really at the heart of it. Um, this is our true nature. That's why it's a, a factor of enlightenment that it is part of who we are when we're not confused and not contracted, and not stressed, that our true nature is one of well-being or uh, appreciative delight at being alive. We see it in babies. That's why we love to be around babies. See, if a baby is fed and taken care of and has a minimum amount of love, what do they They squeal with delight. And, And we love to be around them and be reminded, oh yes, well, that was you. And the same with adults as well. If you put an adult in a neuroscience lab and hook them up to the MRI machine, if if their physical needs are taken care of and they're not stressed, the brain 
exhibits what's called an inherent coherence that is conscious, calm, creative, caring, and content. That's the natural state, just kind of humming along. So the idea is to see what's underneath all the contraction and confusion and allow it to come through the mind and the heart. That's what wants to come through. If you're familiar with the Hindu uh, teachings on Sat-Chit-Ananda, that that is the, the underlying reality, sat truth chit being and uh, ananda is bliss that the inherently when one is in touch with the truth of our being there is a joy that comes out and uh, you've probably seen it here just it kind of sneaks up on you you're just kind of saying the phrases and all of a sudden you just start at times just relaxing and feeling a connection with life. How wonderful that is. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to manufacture anything. You don't have to work hard. Well, you do have to work hard, I should say. Check that out. But you don't have to try hard. You have to put in your time so that you uncover the obscurations. But that's what wants to come out. In the... Uh, as I looked at, at the, the teachings, a few teachings uh, struck me as being keys to open up well-being and joy. One teaching is the Buddhist teaching on wholesome states that, that's been mentioned here before. All those wholesome states like kindness and generosity and caring, compassion... Those states are healthy. They are wholesome because they lead to happiness. And that when we feel those states, the Buddha says to maintain and increase those states is a healthy thing to do. The tricky part is you can't grasp at them to maintain them or increase them. You can't say, come on, I want more. As soon as you do that, there's a contraction and the wholesome state has turned to attachment, unwholesome. And so to really find the art in just opening to that wholesome state and knowing how to bring it more to life, which is what we're doing here. And he said, along with the wholesome state, there is a natural gladness that we feel an uplifting quality that you've seen probably many moments since you've been here of appreciation, of feeling a connection, of delight and and gratitude. Those are accompanied by a gladness that he says is an equipment of mind to overcome ill will and hostility. And he says, stay connected with that gladness. So you tap right into that feeling of well-being and you don't miss it. 
This is why in the in the loving kindness in the in the Brahma Vihara practices, besides saying the phrases and um, having an image, when you feel that feeling, even just a little bit, don't miss it. Sink into it. Allow it to register deeply in your body, because as you do that insight and that access oh this is what well-being feels like becomes more and more available to you as the uh, uh, my friend Rick Hansen who is a he teaches here he they were here over the the weekend teaching the neurodharma of love he said and uh, he's one of the speakers at the course and he says taking in the good if you can spend 30 seconds when you're really feeling that good feeling and letting it be absorbed into your consciousness as well as your body. If you do that, he suggests six times a day, that's three minutes, 30 seconds, six times a day. I know that's a lot, you know, if you want to feel joy. He says, if you do that... Over a two-week period, you will notice a, a, a dramatic difference in your well-being. And just think, you're doing this, you know, 24-7. Don't miss it when you feel those feelings of well-being. You can put down the phrases for a few moments and just rest in that, oh, how beautiful this aliveness or however you're experiencing it, this energy that just opens the heart and is at ease and vibrant. You don't have to make anything happen other than just being present for it. So I'll, I'll talk uh, about some ways to be to cultivate wholesome states and then get to the mudita. So the, the first and, and key uh, element in this process is intention. And that's what you're doing every time you're saying a phrase. You are planting the seed of happiness. May I be happy. May I live with ease that it's important to see that this is a choice that we are making. You could just as easily say, you know, may I be depressed for, uh, for this week, right? That's a choice that actually, you know, many people make unconsciously. Not, may, not I hope I'm depressed, but oh, I know where this is going. And kind of create that reality not because they want to but but just because they don't realize they have a choice you are seeing in a very direct way that you have a choice you can incline the mind towards well-being and that even when you start to have just a little glimpse probably most everybody here has had a moment of well-being since you've been here. I hope, even just a moment. 
I won't ask if anybody didn't have a moment, but I have a feeling that at least there were some moments. If nothing else, then you didn't have to check your email for a week. or you know. But if you've seen just even a glimpse, oh, I do have this capacity, then this is something to just be nur- nurtured and nourished. Just uh, as I'm, I'm doing this, just try this for a moment. Close your eyes. And uh, just reflect back to the fact that you probably did have a moment of well-being. You might pick any, any one that might have happened in the last few days. Maybe you were just walking outside and saw, saw some deer or turkeys or you just uh, appreciated the energy of the, the sangha or the nature. And just remember that, what that was like. And just imagine getting more and more familiar with those moments so you don't miss them when they're here. Not just here on the retreat, but say over the course of, oh, of the next weeks or months or years, you just became more tuned into those moments of well-being. So they were the, the default setting in the heart. Just imagine what that might be like or feel like. And if it seems like a, a useful project or enterprise... Just have that intention to give that to yourself. To notice the moments of happiness or well-being when they're here in your life. That intention is just making the decision to do your part to allow that to happen. This is a very um, profound decision that you can make to open up to as much well-being or happiness as is available to you. You don't have control over what happens in your life. Circumstances are out of our control for the most part. But how we respond and how we can Um, process our life so that we are moving in the direction of of greater well-being. That makes all the difference. So it was in a a lovely interview in the last uh, day or so. Somebody was saying, wow, you know, it is, this is quite a process. It takes work. But as we were talking about it, saying, as long as you're facing in the right direction, it doesn't have to be a race. As long as you're facing in the right direction, then 
every step you take is going in uh, going towards uh, a, a greater support for yourself and for and for your life so having the intention to awaken joy or to open up your heart that's a key to be present is another essential element of awakening joy as the buddha said mindfulness is the most direct way to overcome sorrow lamentation grief despair realize the highest happiness because mindfulness being present for your life whatever is going on weakens the unwholesome states and strengthens the wholesome states it's the one mental factor that has that property and it also is the way to amplify a wholesome state when it's here that if you're quite here and present for it that's when it registers so as you keep on inclining your mind towards being present that's how mindfulness works you know you start on a mindfulness of a pasana retreat and your mind is everywhere and you just keep on having the intention to be mindful and amazingly it starts to go in that direction and there's a kind of healing and purification that happens as you're mindful <clears throat> and that mindfulness can then be used to notice and deepen your connection to the wholesome states when they arise and also to process the hard stuff when it's here mm. so uh another state that I'll 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 talk about briefly that's one of my favorite is uh gratitude we were having a, a lovely talk this this morning in the yurt with uh with Bonte and talking about metta and and uh uh he, he teaches metta in uh in his center in Michigan and um we wanted to hear just what what he had to say and he he spoke so beautifully about gratitude he said you know besides gratitude for uh for being here and for our our bodies and our and our our goodness you know when you wash oh here's gratitude for the water how wonderful we have clean water gratitude for the air that we can breathe and for the the freshness of of life around us gratitude you know i started thinking wow oh, gratitude for flush toilets too gratitude for once you start going it's like it, there's no end to it you know so gratitude which the buddha said is um is one of the great blessings you know he has this beautiful blessing sutta the the mangala sutta many many blessings and he says this is a good thing to to notice all the kinds of blessings in your life there's a little bit on the, the buddha's discourse on blessings to spend time in the company of wise people and honor those who are worthy to live in a place that is good for you doing good deeds keep yourself going in the right direction to develop your skills train yourself in discipline 
to wor use words carefully and beautifully, to give generously to others, to live with integrity, to be respectful, humble, content, and grateful, and to regularly bring spiritual teachings into your life. These are all blessings supreme. To really reflect on your blessings. Here's a, an exercise I like to do uh, using mindfulness of gratitude that makes it very uh, available. Just close your eyes. I invite you to close your eyes. And uh, think of some blessing in your life. Someone that you're grateful for or something that you're grateful for. Grateful to life for. And you might bring that person or that situation to mind and have an image. And as you get in touch with that image, give a very simple, silent, sincere thank you to that person or to life. Thank you. And then let yourself feel it. Just relaxing into the landscape of gratitude. What does it feel like? How lovely, how sweet that is. A blessing supreme to have a grateful heart. Bring a, another image to mind someone else or something else that you're grateful for and grateful to. Just give a soft thank you. Let yourself feel it. And just notice what it feels like. Just resting in that mindfully. This is awakening that open-heartedness, awakening joy or well-being. When you're feeling those moments as they come, don't miss them. Just all of a sudden, you're walking down the path and you see a lizard, and it's like, oh, wow, how sweet, how cute that lizard. Let yourself feel it. Thank you for the lizard. And uh, I have to share my, my story of my mom, who is just too cool. She's the gratitude maven, the gratitude teacher for me. After 89 years of, of complaining and I put her in this in the, in the book um, this Awakening Joy book some of you haven't heard this story where I, I went down to visit her in, in Los Angeles and, and I was writing about gratitude and uh, had all this research about 
why it's a very healthy thing and a great thing to do to feel gratitude. And my mom, who has spent her life kind of seeing what's wrong and complaining as she and worrying, as she says, if she doesn't have anything to worry about, that's when she really gets worried. Right? <laughs> and I said, Mom, this is... It's, look at this gratitude research. She said, wow, it's very impressive. I said, wouldn't that be cool to have a gratitude practice? She said, it would be very good, but, you know, I've been doing it this way for a long time, so <laughs> I don't think there's much help, uh, hope for me. And uh, she said, I know I'm very blessed, but, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's not where my mind naturally goes. And I said, Mom, if you could, would you? Would you like to develop gratitude? She said, if I could, I would, but... <laughs> Dear, let go of it, right? And I said, okay, let's play a game. Every time you complain, I'll just say, and, and you say, and my life is very blessed. And she said, okay, let's do it. She, she likes to play games, and she was a gamer, and uh, we had, I was there for a week. I had so many opportunities <laughs> as the complaints just rolled off her tongue. And each time I'd say, and, and she'd say, oh yeah, and my life is very blessed. And she, um, we had an incredible week. We were laughing the whole week and miraculously it took hold. I called her a lot when I got home to keep it up and a friend kept it up down there and when my sister came back my sister was away for a few weeks uh, and she came back and she said what did you do to mom <laughs> and uh, at the end of, uh, of, of this section in the book I, I, I share the poem that she wrote for me seven months later this is two years ago um, and we write each other poetry for our, our birthdays and uh, she wrote this card, and she started to lose her eyesight uh, in the process during this time to macular degeneration. Although she did, we didn't know it at the time, but she was fortunate enough to have the kind that could be reversed. So she's she got her eyesight back right now. But this is her poem when she didn't realize that. Ninety is just fine with me. I no longer rant and rave about where the world is heading and my exclusive job to save. I wallow in contentment and know that I am blessed, awakening to the joy of living at its best. I'm happier than I've ever been and truly mean each word. The thoughts that cause the worries now all seem so absurd. Though my eyesight has been dimmed, I see clearer than before. The glass is not half empty. It's overflowing to be sure. If my mom can change... Anybody can change. And she's kept it up. This is like two... If you uh, want to see, if you haven't seen, there's a, a YouTube that's now up to 88,000 views of my mom talking. If you look, look up Confessions of a Jewish Mother, How My Son Ruined My Life. <laughs> she's very funny. And I ruined her life because she's so used to fetching and complaining and she doesn't know what to do now that she, she says, I'm, I'm happy, I don't know what to do. <laughs> anyway, anyone, it's possible to change.
I want to just uh, mention one more thing before we, we, we uh, I, meant, I talk about mudita. And that is, um, you know, sometimes life is really hard. Sometimes we go through, sometimes the first noble truth, there is suffering in life. And I know that uh, many people here uh, have been going through some really hard things in their life. And, uh, and the heart um, is so tender, and it's, it's not easy to just say, oh yeah, uh, awaken joy, you know, sounds good, but, but this heart is hurting. And so this is not about just putting a smile on your face and saying, isn't life wonderful? It's about really opening up to the whole show if we are willing to open up to it and somehow process our pain and our sorrow it can be a, a, an incredible transformative process that turns that suffering into compassion I, I, I was um, a lot of times I didn't realize this this would, would happen, but when you write a book called Awakening Joy, sometimes uh, there's people who are reaching out saying, I'm in a lot of pain, please help me out. And uh, just in the last, in this past week, week or two, uh, not from this group, but two people, I, I had to, uh, I wanted to make an agreement that they wouldn't hurt themselves, you know, and they both have agreed. Because the, the pain is so, so much. And I, in, in, in recent times, just hearing more and more of the sorrow and, and the pain and, and the suffering. And my practice has been just breathing and relaxing and opening and seeing there's a love that can hold it all. And it's been quite extraordinary seeing that possibility that people can discover that for themselves. One of the, the people in, in the book, one of my most inspiring people in my life, woman uh, who at the, uh, at the end of uh, the chapter on suffering, I talk about who lost her daughter to, uh, who took her, her daughter took her life uh, when she was 14. And, uh, and, and Nancy... It took her a few years to process that, but she is this amazing beacon of love and joy, and she works with people who've gone through what she, who are going through what she's gone through, and she just wrote an incredible uh, paper. It was so moving for me uh, for one of her courses about how grief can become this opportunity for transformation because when your whole identity is ripped from you, when there's so much major loss in your life that you just don't know who you are, it's like you, you liquefy and your whole sense of self dissolves and there is this opportunity to discover a whole other dimension of being. And uh, she wasn't just talking words, she was talking about her own process. So this is just what the Buddha said too. The more you understand 
your pain and sorrow is part of life and the more you can process it in a way that opens you up more and more than the the gift for everyone in the world this is Khalil Gibran your joy is your sorrow unmasked and the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears how else could it be the deeper that sorrow carves into your being the more joy you can contain so the heart opens up and it becomes tender and there's no the walls are are taken down if you're fortunate enough to have a way to hold that sorrow and there can be this appreciation for the poignancy of life that is truly uh, transformative i'll just in the last few minutes talk about mudita we've been doing metta metta for self which i think is one of the key aspects in awakening joy so you're not preoccupied with making sure you're okay and getting that from everybody else once you really get who you are then you're coming from a place of abundance and your what all your gifts can be shared and offered so metta for self and connection with others metta for others and today as we did mudita the mudita practice this is a an, an amazing practice where you're looking for the goodness around you where you're delighting in the goodness where you're appreciating and seeing the happiness of others it means that you are tuning into that sweet quality of the capacity of others to be happy and in that it's really a a a basis in some ways it can be a basis for deepening metta and uh and compassion practice if you think of mudita as looking for the good as tuning in to the goodness and the happiness and the joy around you looking for the good is the key i think to awakening joy looking for the goodness inside of you and outside and when i say good i i don't just mean you know uh proper behavior and and sweetness it's like that place inside of us that loves being kind that loves to care that loves being connected to life and with the mudita practice our mirror neurons you know the neurons in the brain that 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 fire i mentioned them in the compassion when i did the compassion practice they fire they can be fired and be switched on by the happiness of others it takes a little practice but it's right there we love cheering for people don't you you know that feeling when you're cheering somebody on you know somebody that you're that you love and you're rooting for come on you can do it you can do it there's nothing in it for you other than the sheer joy of seeing them happy isn't that beautiful it's such a a pure generous expression of 
of a beautiful heart. You're just loving seeing them happy. We sometimes restrict that for you know, our loved ones or for kids or for you know, uh, someone we're cheering in a movie. But it can be for everyone. Because if you think about it, see through that separation that, oh, well, they've got the happiness, what about me? You know, that's often how we, where we can come from. If you see through that separation and see, oh, there's a little bit more happiness in the world. How beautiful. It can, it can rub off on us, just like anger can rub off on us. You don't say, when you're around somebody who's got a lot of rage and anger, oh, good, well, they've got the anger and I can just be here happy, right? You kind of feel the, the vibes, right? Well, you can let somebody's happiness rub off on you too. Oh, wonderful. And just kind of tuning right into it. Oh, there's a little bit more well-being in the world. So, I'd like to just do a little bit of mudita practice, and then we'll close. Think of... um, Think of somebody you really want to cheer on. Maybe you did this this afternoon. Could be a a child or a, a friend. You're just saying, yeah, go for it. I'm with you. And just uh, feel the the connection that you feel to them. Just, you might imagine in your mind's eye them smiling or beaming or crossing the finish line or getting the award, whatever. And just take the light in that picture. Oh, isn't it beautiful that they're happy? And then just wishing them May, may your happiness continue. May your happiness grow. And then let yourself just feel how sweet that is to wish that for someone. This sympathetic joy that doesn't want anything other than somebody else's well-being. Again, let yourself relax into it, rest in it. And now, bring um, bring your benefactor in. And if it's the same person, you might bring someone else, bring a friend in. And again, see them with a moment of great well-being, a smile on their face and their love coming out and just being shared with, with everyone. Let yourself feel delight in that. 
May your happiness continue. May it grow. Just wish that for them. And notice how good it feels, the purity of that wish. Now you might just experiment with your neutral person today. And uh, maybe you don't have as clear an image of them in your mind. But just uh, see, imagine them smiling. Imagine them happy. And sense a bit more happiness in the world as they touch that. And then wish that for them. May your happiness continue. May it grow. Let yourself feel that. And then lastly, open up to this whole community and include yourself in it. You're part of this community. Here we are together practicing kindness together for a week. An extraordinary circumstance and all supporting each other in that. Just wish that for all of us. May our happiness continue. May our happiness grow. Include yourself in that as well. So that your own goodness can shine through and be shared. This is awakening joy. So, thank you for your attention. 30 minutes for walking. Let yourself enjoy the night air. Don't miss those moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.